I'm Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join me for part two of our conversation is Dr. Michael Gorin, but we're also joined by Dr. Emily Ventura, and we're going to talk about this book again, which we, we didn't have enough time last time, but it's called Sugar Proof, The Hidden Dangers of Sugar That Are Putting Your Child's Health at Risk and What You Can Do. Uh, I had shared last time I went through a lot of personal things with my kids as well as my own health. So this is also very timely because we have Halloween coming up. What a sugar holiday that is. Welcome to the show. Hi again. Nice to be here again. Thanks, thanks so much for part two. And Emily, thank you for joining us this time. Thank you. My pleasure. How did the two of you connect on this book? Yeah, that goes back a while. Emily was a graduate student who worked with me uh, many years ago, at least 10, I think. Um, and she worked with me for many years and then she moved on. She can tell her own part of the story, but we stayed in touch. And uh, when I wanted to write a book, I immediately thought of Emily because she is such a good writer and also had experience with nutrition education and recipe development. So I thought it would be a good combination to, to join forces. Wonderful. And why, Emily, why is this topic so close to home for you? Why was it something you really wanted to write about? Did you have issues with sugar? Do you know people who do? There's lots of reasons. It's, um, it's something that I've been doing professionally and something I'm passionate about uh, in general. I've worked as a community nutrition educator and then worked with Michael on a number of his studies doing education for the patients in the research um, studies. And now I'm a mom. So I have two boys ages five and eight. And so I understand things on a whole new level now. <laughs> and I think oh, yeah. it's just great to have the chance to put everything into one place, combining all of Michael's research expertise and both of our experiences as educators and parents. You know, as a parent, Emily, uh, don't you find that, and Michael, you're a parent, correct? Absolutely, okay. yeah. So, so I remember when my kids- my kids, are, my kids are 18 and 15, so they're, they're getting less like kids every day. That's still true. A parent. <laughs> but you know what's hard? It's like when you want to kind of toss out the sugar recipes and the sugary things. And then you go to a party and you want to bring like a tray of veggies with ranch dip and, and all the other kids are like, what, this is weird, you know? And it's gotta be hard for the kids to make that switch or to feel like they're in the only one club, mm -hmm. right? You know, I think it really depends on the kid because some kids get shy about those kind of things. And some kids are really confident about it and like yeah. being influencers. Yeah. And so it's been interesting to see how my, um, my kids have responded and how their friends and the, their friends' parents have responded. And, you know, just little things like we were bringing the chickpea snacks. I was bringing the chickpea snacks from our book as an after-school snack because um, my son, like many kids, the first thing I do when I pick them up, they say, what's, what's a snack, mom? They're so hungry when they get out of sure. school. Yeah. And some of his friends were starting to get curious. What are those? <laughs> so, you know, and then it started to spread. So then the other mom said, well, actually, like my kids keep asking me what these chickpeas are. Can you can you send me the recipe? That's and then good. suddenly all of his friends liked it. Right. 
Um, and I think, you know, something that's important about our book is that we don't take the approach of, of restricting kids or families. So mm -hmm. it's really important to me as a mom and also an educator to give the message that you still can have some cookies or some treats or whatever it is on occasion, but just getting them more used to staples that are healthy makes a huge difference in the overall amount of sugar that they eat. Right. I know when I was younger and I was told you can't have candy bars anymore, or whatever, I just, I just mm -hmm. snuck it. If you're told right. you can have something, you're just going to want it more and probably eat more of it. Mm -hmm. You know, right? We definitely don't want to uh, have that effect. And I think that the whole goal is just raising kids with more of an awareness and helping them expand their palates so they do appreciate some of these healthier foods. And then when it comes time to have something sweet, they're they're more satisfied with a smaller portion of it, and it's not you know some kind of forbidden thing on a pedestal. What are some of the uh, negative impacts of sugar? I remember my part one conversation with you, Michael. Um, we talked about how asthma is is one of the things. I mean, uh, my daughter had suffered from that as a child, but what are some of the issues associated with sugar or too much sugar intake? You mean more, more broadly beyond yes. asthma? Yes. Yes, so some of those effects, wide ranging, uh, some of them more obvious and outgoing like asthma would be one or bad skin, acne uh, is another one, uh, weight tendency for weight gain, but you don't have to have weight gain to suffer from some of the more subtle effects. Because Some of the effects of too much sugar are long lasting and slowly developing. Uh, like for example, risk for type two diabetes, risk for heart disease, risk for fatty liver disease, which wasn't even a disease 10 years ago, uh, are all seated in childhood, if not before. Mm -hmm. And while sugar is not the only factor, it's certainly one important modifiable factor that when reduced can reduce the risk of those uh, conditions as well. For me, it also affected my sleep. So even now, like I wouldn't dare, I don't really have like dried fruit is my thing I have maybe at night or a piece of fruit. But if I were to have um, chocolate or any anything that's really sugary, it would affect my sleep. Yeah, yeah there's definitely, definitely links between uh, high sugar and sleep. It's obviously, of course, it's contextual in terms of when you're having the sugar right mm -hmm. before bed's not a great idea, uh, obviously. And, and, and there's evidence to show that uh, sugar does disrupt some of the balance of melatonin, for example, and other systems that are needed to regulate sleep. So you want to time that um, more optimally because poor sleep by itself is not great, but poor sleep itself is then related to other negative outcomes mm -hmm. um, the next day and then long-term as well. Sure. It's interesting too how some of these things can kind of create a vicious cycle. So kids that don't sleep well then are less able to make healthy eating choices. And all of us are, you know, when you're really tired, you start to crave, just naturally crave things like sweets to try and give yourself a pick-me-up. Yes. So we talk a lot about those kind of vicious cycles in the book and how to break them. Well, and the other part of the cycle for me was not doing well in school. Mm. So I would, I would get up, I'd walk to school, I'd grab one of those black and white cookies eat that on the way to school, mm -hmm. or maybe eat some Twinkies. <laughs> right. And, you know, after school, more sweets, more junk. Yeah. And my focus, forget, there was no focus for homework after school or anything. So it really affects so many aspects of your life. 
It does. And I think a lot of parents don't realize because the kids are eating something sweet and then going off to school and parents aren't really seeing what's happening mid-morning. But now that, you know, a lot of us have our kids at home and we're more able to observe and be aware of how what kids eat in the morning is affecting them through, through the whole day, really. And it could be as simple as you're going to Starbucks and you offer your kid a decaf frappuccino, mm-hmm. something that's amped up on sugar. I mean, for me, I would go crashing down probably even now and as an adult, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. how well are they going to do in school? Right. Yeah. I mean, we have a story in the book about a, a family that went through that with a teenager who was getting was sleeping, falling asleep in class. And the science teacher actually wrote the family and said, you know, I'm not really sure what's going on, but she's falling asleep every day at 930. And they thought it was, you know, she wasn't getting enough sleep and, um, you know, maybe too much blue light exposure from her phone. So they made some changes, but that didn't help. And then when they did our seven day challenge and she changed her breakfast, that's what clicked. And all of a sudden she wasn't having any sleepy spells mid morning. Amazing. So you want to talk more about the seven day challenge? Yeah. Um, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll start it off and then Emily can jump in. So sure. seven day challenge. So, so just as a reminder to, the, to your listeners, sugar proof is not about asking families to give up sugar forever because we think that sugar is an important part of enjoying food and celebrating. But a seven day challenge is designed to see what happens when you go for seven days without added sugar. You can still have natural sugars from, from fruits or from dairy products, but eliminating all added sugars will have many benefits, including first of all, to identify what the sneaky sources of added sugar are uh, lurking in, in your pantry. And it's kind of very informative for many families to kind of go through their pantry and take a look with their kids at the food labels and find out what those sources of added sugar are, whether that's your standby peanut butter or pasta sauce or whatever. There's simple ways to just eliminate them and find an alternative source. And then just go without added sugar uh, for, for seven days, eliminating all sources such as juice, soda, uh, desserts with added sugar. And the first couple of days are gonna be in most cases could be quite challenging depending on where you start in the process. Uh, But in our experience working with many, many families after those first few days pass, there's many benefits. And it's a chance basically for taste preferences to get reset because we're so amped up on sugar that our taste taste preferences are are amped up. If If you take it out of the diet, basically you can dampen that craving and dampen that preference and suddenly you'll get kind of a reawakening of taste preferences for other other foods that might have otherwise been uh, rejected. So after the seven days, many families will make long lasting changes like a new jar of peanut butter or a new jar of pasta sauce or suddenly realize there's no need to give apple juice every morning for breakfast. Sure. And, you know, from there, you may gradually go back to some of the old habits and may have to do it again uh, periodically. But over time, if you do this, you'll, you'll reduce your, your sugar footprint so that um, you'll be less dependent on sugar and more dependent on what's going back into the diet, which I think maybe I'll turn it over to Emily, because it's not so much about what we're taking out of the diet, but what we're getting back in 
the diet. Right, that's a great point. And we definitely want um, to, to spin that as a positive because it's a great chance, you know, to not only take up sugar, but to try out some new recipes, like some of the ones that we have in the book or just some other ideas that um, will help families find new staples that yeah. don't have a lot of added sugar and that add in other beneficial things into the diet, like um, more fruits and vegetables and whole grains and protein and healthy fat. And another great benefit that um, families have reported is just seeing a different side of their children. You know, once the yeah. couple, first couple of days of crankiness wears off, they'll realize, wow, actually my kids aren't as whiny and they're not asking for snacks all the time and they're less moody. And oh my gosh, you know, I had no idea that some of this was related to what they're eating. Definitely. Yeah. I actually felt very depressed as a kid. I was eating a lot of fast food. And when I look back, I remember being very sad a lot, being exhausted. I mean, yeah. it was definitely a correlation between mm -hmm. mood, mental health, everything. Right. And I think the more that we can help um, kids make that connection at an earlier age, the better, because, you know, as adults, we're not always in tune to that. Right. So we talk in the book about how, you know, teach your children to know that you feel how you eat. And not just you are what you eat. So yes. when you're eating well, you start to feel better and you know everything is just sort of more in line. Right. And I would say also, um, you know, look at the recipes in your book and, and try to make time to cook on the weekends, have them take over the kitchen. Right. And pick out some things that'll make them happy, make them feel good. Mm -hmm. yeah. it's, it can be really fun. And it doesn't have to be fancy at all. Oh, you no. know, I'm not talking about super gourmet stuff with tons of ingredients that make things complicated. Um, I'm definitely all for getting my kids to do stuff in the kitchen that actually helps because I, you know, I know a lot of times it just seems like more of a hassle to have your kids involved because they might make more mess or whatever, but there's definitely ideas and um, for simple tasks that they can master and actually do independently. It's true. That save time. I have heard that some parents are like, oh, I don't want my kids to make such a huge mess. So I'm not going to have yeah. them bother, but it's good for them to get in there and get their hands dirty, you know, mm -hmm. let for them sure. clean up. Yeah. yeah. Any suggestions for um, parents who are thinking, oh no, Halloween, you know? I, yeah. yeah. It, we're actually, we're working on a, on a piece for that right now. So we are, we're, we're supposed to publish, we are publishing a, a, a story on that in a few weeks. So we're, we're working through a few ideas of Good. alternatives. Halloween, and, and the point is to um, talk about how there's extra risk associated with Halloween this year, obviously, not just because of the social interactions that increase risk, but also the episodes of high sugars in the body have been shown to be connected to greater risk of COVID complications. Oh, yeah. So we want to avoid um, ep episodes of high sugars coming into the body yeah. and dampen them down. So. You know, we're talking about activities that families can do at home, such as making uh, their own treats. Mm -hmm. We're going to have a couple of recipes and ideas for that. Good. Uh, and I, I was brainstorming with my kids and my family over the weekend about this. And we remembered when the kids were really little, this for when we work, if kids are like one or two or three, but we used to have practice trick-or-treat in our house. That's cute. So the, kid, the kids would like put the costumes on before Halloween, and we would practice by kind of closing the door in the office of the bedroom and they would like knock on the door <laughs> and practice trick or treat. And this was a lot of fun. They have very fond memories of that. So 
you know, we can do things in the house, uh, haunted house, trick-or-treating within the house you know, mm -hmm. for younger kids is one idea. And then Emily can tell you about some of the other ideas of fun treats that we're working out that kids can help make that are still fun treats, but without added sugar. So they're not all naturally sweetened. What I wanted to, I didn't want to forget to tell you that when my kids were younger, when we would have birthday parties and they wanted a pinata, instead of stuffing it with a ton of candy, they would roll their eyes now if they heard me say this. I would put toothbrushes in that light up <laughs> and stickers and some candy, but the candy was like, I don't know, fruit juice gummies, but it wasn't horrible, horrible candy, but it was, I would say good 50, 60% of it were the light up toothbrushes, stickers, cute little, small little whatever toys. And the ki other kids were surprised, but they liked it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm laughing because we just did that back to back with my kids who have birthdays in August and September. And I had a mix of stuff in there and they were, they were happy. You know, Good. it doesn't have to be a big sugar overload no. um, for kids to enjoy themselves. Right. Right. Yeah. And also just, you know, ideas, if you are going to do some more traditional form of trick or treating, you know, how can you still let kids participate in that, but then not have the candy big, you know, load of candy sitting around in your house for, weeks on end. And um, you know, and there's also the scenario that's happened to me many times is buying some candy and then having no trick or treaters come to the house. And then <laughs> you just got like, where know. is everybody? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So one of the ideas that we have is the switch, witch, which is um, you kids can collect. Do, some do you know, do you, do you know about the switch, witch? You know? No, what is that? Do you want me to keep explaining? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Go on. Kids can kids can um, collect some candy and then help agree on how much of it they'll keep. So in the past, my kids have kept like five pieces of candy or so, and then that's um, it. And they don't battle. <laughs> they haven't. Now they're they're a little older. We might have to increase that. But it's always about a two way conversation. So they don't. You know, I always want my yeah. kids to feel like they were in on the plan. <laughs> so. yeah, it's much. It's much better to ask your kids how many how much candy do you think would be good to keep right and start from there they, they may go you know too high or they may start really low in which case you're fine but i think it's better to have them internal internally decide what, what what feels good for them yeah mm -hmm. exactly and then the rest of it can be left out overnight for the witch to come and take in exchange for some sort of a prize so it could be like a voucher to go do something fun as a family or that's new supplies or you know whatever it is that they would be excited about, um, but without you know having to have the extra burden of you know candy sitting around for weeks, right? Which happens in my house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, this is another issue we talk about that it's not just Halloween night; it's it's the lingering after that of candy then mm. lingering around the house for for weeks on end. Yes. Uh, one thing I want to talk about is the microbiome. Because some people don't know what that is. And I know I went through this whole thing with my daughter having leaky gut and she had too many antibiotics when she was younger and, and then she had a lot of sugar in her diet. Why is it important for us to have a healthy microbiome? Yeah, multiple different reasons. First of all, fruct several issues specific to kids. So fructose, for example, the main sugar in high fructose corn syrup and other fruit-based sugars Fructose can contribute to leaky gut and other, and then 
why it's an issue in children is because during childhood is when your, your microbiome, which is your gut bacteria, everybody has a different profile and that's most of your gut bacteria are healthy bacteria. And this profile is established in the first few years of life. So what kids are consuming early in life uh, can establish that gut bacteria, which is set for the rest of your life, more or less. Um, but the healthy, your gut bacteria when they're learning is, is broadly associated with multiple different things in the body. We know, for example, that what your gut bacteria produce in your gut may communicate with your brain. So there's a link between the types of gut bacteria and what they produce and the signals they may send to the brain that may regulate things like appetite and mood and anxiety and so on. So some of the effects of food on mood and behavior and other health outcomes may well be mediated by what is residing in your gut and what those bacteria are producing. In the same way that we all know we have bacteria in the mouth that produce acid that can cause dental caries, there's also bacteria in the gut that produce other things too that may be problematic. Sure. So what kids are eating will contribute to their gut bacteria and then like you mentioned, multiple bouts of antibiotics, which you know may well be needed, can alter that gut bacteria. So that may need to be rebalanced. Um, but it's an evolving science, it's very complicated. There's thousands and thousands of different bacteria yeah. and everybody has a fixed uh, profile, but clearly what, we eat, what we're eating can contribute and especially what we're eating early in life can contribute to that gut microbiome. Can it contribute to ADHD? Can it, can it cause issues in learning and hyperactivity? And if your microbiome is out of whack? I'd say there's probably less known specifically on that particular topic, mm -hmm. uh, but it may, and it, while it may not cause it, and the same is true for sugar, we're not sure whether sugar, let's say, does sugar cause ADHD? Uncertain. But certainly sugar in the microbiome may exacerbate those types of situations. Sure. So it's something that if you cut back on, uh, you may see improvements in those particular outcomes. I always say to people, be a detective with your own body. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, be a, be a detective and a, science, a scientist mm -hmm. too. And, yeah. and the problem is that, and you, I'm sure parents see this with their own kids. They're going to respond to different foods differently on different days, or you may have multiple kids that are responding differently. It's not a figment of your imagination. That's just that bodies respond differently and the context is going to affect things too. Yeah. By context, I mean time of day, what they had to eat previously. It's going to be very variable. So you have to be a detective, like you say, sure. and figure out what works what's not working and what's causing problems. Is there anything else you'd like people to know about the book? We can start with you, Emily. Just that, you know, it's it's a great mix of, of stuff. So it's really like a one-stop shop for understanding how um, sugar affects kids in many different ways, um, starting from even in utero and ranging all the way through the teenage years. And then, you know, gives a lot of practical solutions that have worked for us as educators and also as parents and recipes as well. It's great. And uh, anything you want to add, Michael? I mean, just to say, the, 
to, like Emily said, there's a lot written on sugar, but in Sugar Proof, we, we wanted to bring it all together so that it might not be a book that you'll read cover to cover, but it's, it's a great resource to have around. Also think about gifting it to, uh, sure. to grandparents or teachers or pediatrician offices, wherever your kids are getting care, because it's a, you, you as a parent may know about all these issues with sugar, but the people who are looking after your kids may not. Right. So um, think about also the gift of knowledge um, to those people who are looking after your kids. That's great. Where can people find out more about both of you? Well, we have, we share an Instagram and Facebook account with the handle at Sugarproof Kids. And then the website is sugarproofkids.com. And the book, the book is available wherever it is that you're buying books these days. Uh, and how, in whichever format you like your books these days, it's available in all of those locations and all of those formats. Fantastic. I want to thank both of you for, for doing this segment. I love that we did a part two, Michael, because it was too short. And yeah. Emily, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's been really nice to chat with you. You too. It's lo lovely to see you again. Thank you so much for mm -hmm. helping uh, spread the message of Sugar Proof. And take care of yourself. Be well and stay safe. Thank you. You too. Mm -hmm.